0: For the sermon this morning. Father, I would ask that you would meet us here today. And Lord, this is a topic that at times we feel uncomfortable talking about in our own lives. And and so, Lord, would you just work in us? Would your Holy Spirit be in this place today? And would your word um, take root in our hearts? and change us from the inside out, and may you, again, just use it for the kingdom as we talk about this issue today. So I, I give this morning to you these things we pray in your name. Amen. I want to begin by putting up Matthew chapter 6 on the screen. Uh, We've been in a series centered around the whole issue of the heart and the treasures of the heart. We talked about time, we talked about our children, and last week and this week uh, we're we're really dealing with this issue of money. And last week we we started with Matthew chapter 6 and look at how it goes. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's the heart and the treasure and the connection that we have within us. But we began looking at money and we realized how much it impacts our lives. And again, it's not a, a popular topic. People don't really would rather avoid it. But the challenge is this is that money can, can ignite this battle within our hearts as to who or what or where we're serving. And Jesus understood this, and, and he threw out we looked at that last week, He threw out these challenges both to his disciples and the crowd, and he said this, "You can't serve God and serve money at the same time." No one can serve two masters. So God invites us to a different place. He wants us to give our love to Him first. And when that happens, money, frankly, doesn't begin to always dominate our lives. As a matter of fact, money is an asset. It can be used for the kingdom of God, for storing up treasures in heaven. And and matter of fact, I I think the approach that we have for money, I, I struggle with it at times because we we use we focus on duty and responsibility. But but I think there's a better place for us to go. And from last week, let me put this on the screen. What is I think for us, God's heart for us is that we would become a church filled with generous people. That our hearts would be filled with generosity. So turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want to spend some time in a text and I want to kind of approach it. We're going to dump different angles, digging out at some of these phrases and seeing how this example and what it teaches us about generosity and this issue even of money. But first, the context here. In this chapter 8, uh, he's speaking to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians. And he's using the churches in Macedonia as models to spur the, the church at Corinth. And, and churches would be like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea would be examples that he's using to kind of teach the, this group of people. Look at how it reads, though, the first few verses in one, 8.1. We want you to know, brothers Today, what do we glean from this example of these churches that were so generous? The first one, if if you're taking notes and you want to follow along on that sermon outline, I, I said it this way, generosity is never restricted by how much or how little we have. Now, here's the tension at times. I think there can be this attitude that we say, money is always evil, and the answer is no. I know there's people who God has gifted to make money. I'm not one of them, okay? Um, but I've known people who actually have the gift of giving, and they use money, and they're just so generous and working for the kingdom of God. But understand this, it's not about having money or not having money with a heart that's bent toward generosity. Matter of fact, I think here's a challenge. We have a culture where those that don't have money actually can become victims and say, you know what, we, you, you that have money owe it to us. But if you look closely at this church, they had no attitude like that. And they said, oh, we're poor. You should be given to us. No. The church had no attitude in any way like that. See, even in prof- profound poverty, these churches were not rich. And yet they gave generously. So here's, when you think of that, God invites everyone. It doesn't matter where your finances are, he invites everyone to be generous in giving. Matter of fact, for parents, one of the challenges is do we teach our children on the issue of finances? I, I, sometimes I think parents actually avoid talking about money with their children. But do they see us give regularly to a church? Do they see us in acts of generosity with with our money? See, it starts at a young age. And it's not never intended to be private. And and if you're a young person here, or a student in high school or or junior high, I I think this is the attitude that you guys, you say, oh, I'll, I'll do that when I get older. And you go, no. It actually can start much younger to have a heart and to cultivate a heart of generosity. But I want you to notice one phrase here. At the end of verse 2, it says this, they gave of their own accord. Do you see that? See, Paul didn't try to manipulate them to to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. I I think this, I don't think, I think Paul understood manipulation rarely works in terms of giving long term. See, uh, generosity is really about a heart attitude. But let me give you a second point here. For your notes, true generosity begins when people are spiritually set free from control of money. Now, what do I mean by that? See, there are a number of reasons why people give to charities, to churches. And one of them is this, that first bullet point. People give because they feel guilty. And you think of, okay, what if Paul would have gone to those Macedonian churches and says, if you don't give, it means that you hate Jesus. And you go, no. Paul never would have done that. He knows that that just doesn't work. People don't sustain giving to anything when it's out of guilt. But there's another reason why I think some people give. And the next one bullet is this people give to get. So Paul could have come to that church and said this, you know what, if you give, God's going to reward you with riches way beyond you can ever extend understand. The challenge is, is that it can slide toward it more of a prosperity gospel in that type of teaching. And that God has to give you, we kind of require God to give back to you because you give. Um, I was faced with this understanding. I went to Kenya a number of years ago, and the missionary there, uh, it was kind of a Bible college thing and an eye clinic, and he was telling about how much the prosperity gospel is becoming infused into Africa. And he has heard this okay, from a preacher who said this, he stood up and uh, trying to get money from poor people, uh, from the Afri- from Africans, the Kenyans there, and a guy said this, you know what, if you give, God is going to bless you and he's going to give you a Mercedes car where the wheels will never wear out. And you go, ah. he's being manipulated to give, to get. Now, I've got to be careful here because God does bless us when we do give. But it maybe isn't always just the financial blessing. Maybe it's that we have the power to say no to things. Or that we have an understanding that money is no longer than the master of our lives at that point. See, the challenges. do we give to get in return? But let me give you another bullet here. People give out of duty and responsibility. Paul could have gone to these churches and said, you guys are just a little bit richer than the people in Jerusalem. You, got, you, got, you owe God. you got to pay them back. you got to be responsible for these people. Now, i got to be careful here because it's not bad to feel responsible. And sometimes I wish people were more responsible. And we need to teach our children to be responsible. And we need to learn responsibility even in budgeting. And by the way, I would throw out an option here for you. One of the things that we're doing is um, March 10th on Monday nights, we're going to begin a class, a financial class. And just, you can, you can, it'll be in the bulletin in the next couple weeks. But just a, an option for you in terms of really learning budgeting, okay? But back to this issue of responsibility. Churches are called to be responsible with their even their budgets, with their finances that are given to the church. And one of the things over the years, that because I've been an executive pastor for a number of years at a former church, I had to deal with the budget all the time. And uh, one of the things that we did is, how do you know how you're doing and how do you figure that out? And one of the ways that we, we worked it was that we would take the average attendance on a Sunday morning, And then figure that and compare it to our total budget. So we divide our average attendance into the into the budget and it comes out so many dollars per Sunday that a church needs every Sunday just to work, to make happen. You know, we don't charge people for toilet paper. Poland does, by the way, okay? (laughs) Not at the churches, but if you're in public, you, you actually have to pay money. But when, when it works out to it, back then, uh, at, at the former church, we were somewhere around $27, $28 per person for average attendance on a Sunday morning per week. Uh, figuring out our budget last year, we've added a staff person, we're thinking of adding a third staff person, we're working on that. Ours is at about $26 a week that it costs for a person to come through the door on a Sunday morning. Now, this isn't a tax, so hear me that this isn't trying to guilt you into giving $26 a week. That's not the point. But it's a way that you can figure out, how are we doing with our budget? And families, you've got to figure out budgets as well. And, and you know that if there's more kids in the family, guess what? It's going to cost more. Okay, That's just, that's just the way it works. But it, but understand, it, it, it's stewardship for us, and there's a place for that, and a very important place. And that's where I would encourage you maybe to set aside that, uh, that time for Dave Ramsey, that, that seminars that, on video series, and it's gonna cost about $100. Um, it's gonna be, it would be well worth it if you would do it. You would save that $100 the first year. But for church, for us, we're called to be good stewards, and be responsible with money. But here's where i got to say, but. Responsibility isn't the highest virtue here. There is a virtue in one sense that trumps duty and responsibility. See, the principle of generosity is not only for the individual, it's also for the collective. And Paul is exhorting this group of people and using the macedonian churches to teach them that it's more than just business principles that giving is more than that than just having a budget than giving a certain percentage see these churches gave far beyond what they would have could have given and if they would have run it like a normal business or a more normal budget, you understand they probably wouldn't have given. See, it goes beyond duty. And, and let me give you that bullet point to fill that blank in for you. Here's where we need to go. People can give out of delight. See, And this isn't about a percentage. For some people it might be, a week, $5 a week, for some it might be $200 a week, I don't know. Some have the ability to give more, some have the ability to give less, but everyone can give with an attitude, with a heart of delight. See, when we're set free, we begin to be set free and to give generously. And there's a freedom. Money doesn't have to have a hold on our lives. And he asked the question, "How do you know when money has a hold on your lives?" And just to throw out an illustration, here's my biggest bill, a five-dollar bill in my wallet. See, the question is, do we hold the the money loosely? And this isn't, you know, mentally in our hearts. Do we hold this money loose, or do we? Hold it like this, where we grab onto it. When a need is out there, and we go, uh, 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 should we give or not? See, the Spirit is saying, "Can trust me? Hold it loose. Open the hand. Allow the Holy Spirit to give freedom." Where there's not this bondage where it goes, oh, I got to control money. See, God desires that we be generous, He desires that our hearts be filled with generosity. Matter of fact, look at verses 4 and 5, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. These people in these churches were set free. There was no obligation. Paul didn't compel them to give. It was delight. And then they give, as Paul puts that phrase, not as we expected. What was that? They gave far more than Paul ever would have hoped for. And they gave and they couldn't even afford it, really. People in poverty begging to give. I have to confess, as I was studying, there was a lot of Holy Spirit working on my heart, even this week. See, do we hold on to our money? But let me give you a third principle here. Number three. Generosity is an action that results from dependence and trusting on God. See, something rose up here. This generosity as it it grew in the hearts of that Macedonian church. They gave themselves first to God, but then this flowing of, we need to be generous. And Lord, we're going to trust you that you will take care of us even if we give out of our poverty. See, when we set aside, when we were set free, we put aside the control of how much we have, how much we should give. And we go, God, we depend on you because you are good and you are in control. And when they gave themselves to him, do you notice what took place? By the will of God, they generously gave to the disciples, to the apostles. Now here's the picture again. This grip. How did that happen for that church, those churches? And I believe it's this. I think God just revealed to them be givers, be generous. And he he told them the right amount in some way. See, it was exactly what God wanted for this Macedonian churches to give to the these people in Jerusalem. And then he did this, Paul, here's the money. It's yours. Take it to Jerusalem. Use it for whatever you need to use it. Because we think that they're actually worse off than we are. But do you realize there was no compulsion, no manipulation, no sense of guilt. They viewed giving as a privilege. And it was motivated by their love and I believe their dependence on God. Now, I, I... I've got to connect one alley here. You'll notice that the giving was no strings attached. They were trusting the apostles and the leaders to do whatever they wanted with the money. We had our congregational meeting about a week and a half ago, and we voted on our budget, and the meeting actually was quite boring. No one was fighting about the budget, and for me, boring congregational meetings are wonderful. That's the way they're supposed to be. But I remember, uh, and what stirred me as I was studying this week, I thought back, I was an elder when I was younger in Vancouver, Washington, and I remember the first meeting, the congregational meeting where we had to do the budget, and the arguing that was going on as a result of how the money should be spent. And as it dawned on me that that all of a sudden that this church, these poor people, they didn't control their money. They were giving it to the apostles and saying, do with with it whatever you need to do. You see, for us, when we give, sometimes we want to give and still be in control. And I would argue that's not generosity if we still want to maintain control. But let me go to a, a critical fourth point here. It's not directly in the text, but it really, I believe, is here when you step back and look at it from kind of a distance. Number four, a generous heart watches and listens and it recognizes needs. See, it's a generous heart. It sees needs around us. Someone who's tight-fisted with money never sees things. And this generosity, I believe, is really connected to other character qualities that God wants to develop in our lives. Two of them that come to mind, compassion and mercy. But think of it this way. Ephesians 1 says, While he had, when he saw us, he had compassion and he had mercy, and then he was generous in sending His Son, the generosity of grace. But see this reality, the more that God is working and He's changing our hearts. He deposits joy, He deposits love and compassion and mercy. And then we move almost automatically to generosity. We begin to see needs of people. The Holy Spirit fuels the the fruit in our lives and it just kind of comes out. It's not about trying harder. It's really giving up and saying, "God working work in me." But let me end here with another text and one more principle. Uh, turn over to chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I just want to draw one piece out. I know we're kind of flying high, but And we could spend a whole Sunday on this text as well, but I just want to give you one more snippet here. Because he continues his discussion here in Corinth. And look how it starts in verse 6. Let's begin at 6. And the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now just stop a moment here. What I think that says is this. That our giving really is about between the Holy Spirit and yourself. That's where that God has to be doing the work. But I think this is also true. Looking at my life, even in the past at times, I think there's a hesitation to kind of bow before God and say, God, how much do you want me to give? Would you reveal that to me? I'm not sure that we like to pray that prayer. (laughs) Do we? Oh, we'll just kind of figure it out on the side and and then we'll kind of go on from there. Now now you realize. how does that work? Now, now even, I've I got to think back to even this Macedonian church. I think that's where they headed. It was what God was telling them. Just think of the Macedonian church going to a meeting, to a congregational meeting and said, let's vote on whether we should give to the people in Jerusalem and everybody's in poverty. Do you know what would have happened? If they would have Put in normal business principles into their church at that point, they would have said no. But somewhere the Holy Spirit worked in them, it changed their heart, and they gave even with extreme poverty. You see, we need to stop and ask that question God, what do you want? Let's keep going in the text. Not reluctantly, we're under compulsion. And look at that phrase, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you go, Paul's going, there's the delight. Giving cheerfully with delight. But look at the consequences there, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, there's the tension, I think, is that do we get something when we give and when our hearts will become generous? And I go, yes, we actually do. Now, it, it, more prosperity teaching gospel will go do this. We get give to God so that God will build our stuff, our finances here in this world. But I'm not convinced that's what the text is saying at all. Then it kind of contradicts Matthew 6, storing up treasures in heaven versus building bigger barns on this world. But God does give us as we give. But it's a a type of grace that extends beyond just giving us resources. I, I think it's saying it more definitively, there's a profound, abundant, overflowing spiritual fruit when we cultivate our hearts of generosity. Number five, if you're taking notes, the fruit of generosity will be some of the treasures that we store up in heaven. Going back to Matthew 6. Listen again, let me just read it. 6.20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, there as we develop a heart of generosity, there is something that takes place. And there's treasures in heaven, but, but there's treasures that I think even are apply in this world. For a bullet point there, I said this the fruit of generosity can birth contentment. See, God is able to that phrase in eight, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency all sufficiency in all things at all times. See, God is good, and he's in control. And so when we become a generous giver, more and more we realize, hey, God provides for us. He's good, he loves us, he cares for us. And worry then, we slide from worrying about money to contentment about money. Matter of fact, one of the commentaries, I pulled out a quote that I read this week. Look at how it reads To learn to be content with very little requires that one want very little. You see what's happening? As we have a spirit of generosity, the desires for the stuff begin to fade. So if we have food and clothing, we will be content. And the less one wants, the greater the means for relieving the needs of others. We can give it away. You catch what God's heart is for us. Look at the end of verse 11. So as you sow by being generous, it will increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, what I see here is really two fruits of generosity here. The first one, for the bullet point there, it spills over to other areas in our lives. And and God changes us from the inside out. And we become generous beyond money. It's time. He opens our eyes and we see the needs and we're generous to neighbors. We're generous to friends. It's, it's loaning tools. It's all of those things. We go, how does God want to use our generosity even in other areas of our lives? And it enriches people. It flows into other areas. But a second bullet here, I think as well, it's so important. The fruit of generosity produces fruit in other people and future generations. That phrase in 11, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God, I don't believe it's talking about the giver, the one who's generous. This is talking about the fruit from those, as God uses that in the people that give. And other people come to that place where they begin to worship God and give thanks to God. Why? Because somebody else over here has been generous. You catch how money is used in the kingdom in a way for transformation of people. Other people begin to thank God. It's a catalyst Generosity can be a catalyst for spiritual transformation in other people. And it leads to them worshiping God. And so we give to a church. We don't know always how it's going to work. Or we give to a ministry. We give to a missionary. We don't know how it's going to work. But this is true. God takes that. And as we give in the right spirit, he uses that and he multiplies it and the seed is laid for something else to happen in the kingdom in a profound way. I I think we give to a budget here. And all of a sudden, children's lives are changed. In a Sunday school class, in in Kids Rock, in, in other areas, in youth ministry, marriages are healed, missionaries are raised up, Encouraged. Things explode because of people's generosity. See, God desires that we would become generous people, not just for a budget. It's because the kingdom of God needs to grow and expand. And that's where we just keep thinking money is about a budget. And just supporting our needs. And you go, no. What's the result for us? Where does God need to work in our lives? And I think really it goes back to that idea, are we willing to stop and bow before God and say, God, would you give me a heart of generosity? I think that is the first prayer. Would you change me from the inside out? Would you challenge my heart to not hold money like this, but to hold money and say, God, use it for the kingdom of God. Would you grow, would you take this, would you, whatever you want, God, would you reveal to me what I should give, what I should do, how I should plan, how to save more so I can actually give more? See, those are the questions that I think we, it starts with as we bow before God. But you see, money is so much more than just finances. Money is what do we do in our hearts? And what do we treasure? And the more that we get to that place where God, we want to delight in you, money doesn't become an issue. We're free. That's where freedom is found. And we seek him and his kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. Let's stand and let's pray.